0: The chance for some rain in Argentina chased buyers out of the soy complex. We'll talk about what that might mean for the longer-term price trends in soybeans. And wheat futures went in different directions today. Will be interesting to see how long that lasts. And hogs, man, nobody is willing to step in and catch this falling machete.
1: Live
0: from Machete Thursday
1: via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, it's a conversation with Arlen Suderman of StoneX, and right after the news, Oliver Slope from Blue Line Futures.
0: I'm handsome newsman Davis Michaelson, now
1: the host of AgriTalk. Chip Flory.
0: you know, I just realized how violent uh, AgriTalk is today.
1: Machete is much scarier than, say, I don't know, a hatchet, for example.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like a hatchet. But you can... pull, you, you yeah. pulled. A, you pulled the pin on it. Uh, how, how did you describe it? An incendiary advi- uh, device. In, incendiary advice?
1: Yes, I think that's yeah,
0: advice. <laughs> think that's what you get <laughs> right it. here. On There's talk. the slip. <laughs> I-, oh. I love it. Incendiary love device? It. Yes. Pulled the pin this morning. Right. And now we've got machetes flying around. Wow. Are you still going? I think you. Yeah. Think you
1: need a, I think you needed. You needed a little hot cocoa or something.
0: Well, huh? not until Maybe? after the lane is clean. Get your jammies on and curl up in I, front of. <laughs> something on done, the tv uh, no I, I i think maybe i'm trying to work up an attitude of tackling the lane we had like seven inches of snow here yeah yeah it, and now that the wind is starting to blow it looks mm-hmm. like it's snowing again like Ooh. hard
1: now yeah. with the wind oh i thought it was a yeah. was a, a heavy snow with lots of yeah. water in it you know oh, it's gonna be hard to shovel that
0: well, but now it's it blowing? Is, but it uh-huh. also piled up on the on the tree limbs uh, and everything, and, and now it's it's coming down. So. That sounds magical. Oh, no, it's not even slow-globish. <laughs> it's it's almost horrific. Almost horrific. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We have got a lot of ground to cover today. Looking yes. forward to the conversation with Arlen. Uh, always looking forward to that. And, man, if we can get through everything that, that I want to get through with Arlen, we're all going to be smarter by the end of the show. So let's get yes. to it.
1: Yes, Chip winter wheat futures separated from spring wheat in today's trade. The potential for moisture in hard red winter wheat country limited buying interest, as did slow demand for U.S. wheat in the global export market. There was some concern about the flow of grains from the Black Sea region, with the U.N. reporting a backlog of more than 100 ships in Turkish waters waiting on the go-ahead to continue their voyages. The spring wheat market traded slightly higher on spreading against those winter wheat contracts. March H R W wheat futures were nine and one half cents lower at eight thirty-two. March soft red wheat down eight cents, seven thirty-four and one half. March spring wheat closed at nine oh four.
0: That one's up three cents. Chip feels like the winter wheat markets are still trying to digest last week's winter wheat seedings report as well. Big increase over a year ago, bigger than what the trade was expecting. Uh, we we'll, we'll talk with Arlen about whether or not that will translate into more production.
1: Ethanol production in the weekend of January 13 averaged 1.008 million barrels per day, up 65,000 barrels from the previous week. Still, ethanol production was more than 4% below the same week last year. Despite the increase in production, ethanol stocks declined to 400,000 barrels on the week. Traders are keeping a close eye on Argentine weather. Some forecasters say the pattern holds potential for rains over the next 10 days. We've heard that before. USDA this morning announced the sale of 195,000 metric tons of corn to Mexico for delivery in the 22-23 marketing year, but that did little to support prices. March corn futures four cents lower, 6.77 and one quarter. May corn down four and a half cents, 6.74 and three quarters. July corn futures closed at
0: 6.63 and one quarter. Down four and three quarters cents. Chip it feels like we're getting some evidence that the big slowdown that we had in ethanol production—it was because of the disappointing Christmas travel and the mm. and the fuel use. We had that Arctic blast in there that slowed down production. Be- the reason that I say that is because even with that big increase in in production, we had a drawdown on stocks, four hundred thousand barrels. So we're starting to use it a little bit more.
1: The increased chances for rains in Argentina also chased some buyers out of the soy complex. Traders are watching reports from an industry tour of Mato Grosso that is expected, reporting generally good yield potential for the northern production areas of Brazil. Northern Brazil remains too wet in some areas, but the pattern is beginning to shift moisture to drier areas in the south. March bean futures posted a high-range open and a low-range close after spiking support at yesterday's low. March beans, nine and three quarters lower, 15 to 14 and three quarters. May beans dropped a dime, 15, 11 and one half. July soybeans closed at 15.03 and
0: three quarter, down 11 and one quarter cents. March bean oil today was down 97 points. Did not even want to follow the nearly dollar gain in crude oil futures today.
1: Well, March cotton gave back most of yesterday's gains, down 142 points today, 83.39. On the livestock side, fat cattle traders are growing impatient, waiting for higher cash cattle bids. Boxed beef prices were slightly higher this morning, but packers seem unwilling to work bids to the upside. Futures opened on session highs and closed mid-range after front month futures spiked support at 156. February fat cattle were 85 cents lower, 155.95. April live cattle down a buck 10, 159.12 and a half. March feeders fell 1.62 and one half cents to 18010 and on the snout side February lean hog futures have closed lower in all but one of the last 15 sessions chip and have yeah. strung together another seven consecutive lower closes today's low matched the October 4 low of 7640 yeah. and chart watchers are now either suggesting a double bottom in front month hogs or a move to the bottom of the october 29 2021. Upside price gap at seventy three eighty seven and one half. Yikes! Fed yeah. hogs sixty seven and one half cents lower.
0: Seventy six sixty five. April down to buck eighty eighty four forty. Chip, going back eighteen months to find support in hogs Oof. is no fun it's at no all. No. Let's bring in Oliver Slope, Blue Line Futures. How you doing, Oliver? I'm doing good, Chip. But I think you got to stop
2: listening to all those murder podcasts with that machete talk. It's yeah. Little- well, I,
0: tell me. I mean, who's going to catch this hog market now?
2: Oh, man, that, that's a good question. You know, I, I've stepped in and dabbled a few times, but it is uh, it has been just relentless. And obviously, now everyone's got their eye on those lows in the April contract down at one, or 82.62. Uh, we yeah. Obviously, we're oversold. But as you know, these markets can go uh, deeper in oversold territory than a lot of people expect. So I yeah. it, it'll play out eventually. And we've seen these sell-offs before in the past and yep. uh, snap back higher. So that's not out of the question either, as gloomy as it looks right now.
0: Yep. Uh, Live cattle futures settled right back into that range where they got comfortable. Oh, you know, what was it? The middle of November until the middle of December a year ago.
2: Yeah, we got uh, the cash market really stalled out and even softened. It's a place of what we're hearing. We fell back, tested the 50-day moving average, 158.5, which is also a trend line support. I think a lot of this is probably long liquidation ahead of tomorrow afternoon's cattle on feed report. On top of that, looking at last week's commitment to traders report, managed money long, about 95,000 contracts. That's the largest net long position they've had in three years. So the, the stagnant cash market ahead of a big report, I think, spurred some selling pressure here. To, to round out the week, and you might see a little bit more follow through. But again, trend light support one fifty eight, one fifty eight and a half with a fifty day. I think that offers pretty good support.
0: Okay. All right. Gotcha. Hey man, Cyclones didn't do too bad in Lawrence. Lost by a deuce, uh, it, it, and then took Texas. I'm liking them this year, man. Not not too bad. I, I think Nebraska balls out of the question,
2: so I might have to pick a pick a new bandwagon to, to jump on, but. Before you guys cut out, uh, new crop weekly options for corn and soybeans start next week. That's a
0: big one. I'm excited for that. New crop weekly options begin next week. All right. I think I know somebody that we can get on and talk about that. All right, Oliver? All right. Sounds good. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later. We got Oliver. We got Arlen up next.
3: (laughs) To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything.
1: What more do you need to know?
0: Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you are with us this afternoon for a conversation with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at the Stonex Group. Arlen, welcome back to AgriTalk. How are you, man?
5: Doing well, Chip. It's good to be back with you.
0: Good. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. I've been thinking about you on and off since last week's uh, winter wheat seedings report with with the way that USDA uh, really pumped, and I shouldn't say USDA, I mean, it was the survey results that pumped up the winter wheat seedings by almost 3.7 million acres from a year ago, uh, more than a million acres, more than what the trade was looking for. What was your take on that? Yeah, I really wasn't surprised, although it was bigger
5: than I was willing to go in my pre-report estimate because I thought, you know, we could see that kind of increase, but I guess I didn't have the courage to actually show it. Uh, And and a lot of it goes down to when decisions had to be made, what were insurance premium opportunities, the insurance guarantees. Uh, And I think of those farmers in the high plains where we had the biggest increase in acreage, especially in Texas. Where we gained, uh, what was it, 1.4 million acres, and they'd been in a drought, had trouble growing crops all summer long. They got this dry soil, and they look at those insurance guarantees, and it provided incentive to put that cheap seed in the ground. And if it rains, they got a crop they could graze cattle on, uh, or they could raise grain on. A lot of them is going to go for cattle, need cattle feed down there. And if it didn't rain, they had a nice insurance guarantee. So there can be a big difference between what gets planted and what gets harvested. I don't expect harvested acres to see near the increase that we saw on planted acres. And I think that'll come down to earth. But we won't see that really probably until June 30th report.
0: Yeah. Arlen, when it comes to the condition of that crop this last fall uh, or right now, I don't we've we've not had hard red winter wheat crop conditions on average this poor ever from USDA. How do how do we how do we turn that into a crop expectation for for 23?
5: Yeah, that's really challenging because as you know, there's a pretty poor correlation between fall condition ratings and final yield. Mm-hmm. It comes down to can you at least get it through the winter? get it vernalized because winter wheat has to vernalize that cold treatment has to happen that 99 of the time happens but i have seen at times when it didn't happen um, but if you can get something germinated and vernalized and then the spring rains come you can get a crop and mm-hmm. so it's really hard to correlate but if we look at what the potential is we know that the southwestern quarter to third depending on how you define it of the hard red winter wheat belt Uh, there's just not much there at all. And in many cases, just literally nothing there. We talked about the winter kill incident that we had ahead of Christmas. Well, a lot of that wasn't even up to winter kill. Um, So we'll have to take a look at that as we come into February and March. If in fact we get the death of La Nina, as it's looking more likely that we're going to now, and we start changing this pattern and get rain in that area, A lot of that ground is going to look very prime for spring crops. The rule thumb out there is if you get get moisture, you plant a crop and the time of year determines what crop you plant. And I think we could see a lot of row crop planted in that area if those rains come because the wheat's going to be pretty thin. Then you come to the north and to the east and it progressively gets better. a lot of unevenness, et cetera, as you can imagine, depending on when it's planted, who got the rains and who didn't. Um, but overall, as you get, the better wheat is going to be to the north and east of that area. Um, so quite a bit of variability.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For those of you wondering why we're talking agronomic issues with Arlen, who is an economist, well, he got his start in in ag as an agronomist, right?
5: Yeah, that's exactly right. Walked a lot of fields uh, in my days prior to being a market analyst.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I'm going to ask you the gut feeling of the agronomist. This does not look promising at all for this HRW crop, just because there's going to be other choices that are better than that crappy stand that's out there in the field.
5: Yeah, there really are going to be better choices this year. And uh, i can't, it's hard for me to be optimistic about this hardwood yeah. winter wheat crop as a whole, the size of it. And I think globally, when you look at exportable supplies among the major exporters of milling yep. quality wheat were extremely tight levels. And we're probably going to stay that way for at least the next 18 months or so. Yeah. Uh, the market doesn't seem to really care about that at this point. Um, it probably will at times, um, but uh, th- we there isn't much margin for error.
0: Right. Another thing that I was curious about from last Thursday's report that the USDA decided to move that, what was it, 80 million or 30 million bushels, I guess it was, of wheat feed and residual use from the 2021-22 year into the 22-23 year. Why?
5: Yeah, that's something that really frustrates me because, you know, USDA takes a lot of accusations and a lot of hits on things. And I say, well, this is what our survey shows us. Well, if that's what your survey shows you, then don't go back and change stocks report surveys from the previous year. Um, That's where you undercut your credibility Credibility, in doing so. And if you look at that crop, I'm talking about the crop that we harvested in 21, we fed a lot more of that than what USDA is showing, and they just cut I mean, wheat feeding was very active during that year and they just cut it even tighter. And I think it was because they totally missed the size of the crop in the first place. Because as you know, wheat feeding is a is a math calculation, not a measurement. Yep. And uh, so they're trying to make the books work now, going back the previous year, pushing it into the current year and shifting it forward. Because we are doing some wheat feeding this year, but we could have made a bigger argument that that should have been in the previous year, where we did a lot more wheat yeah. feeding than currently. Wheat is working into the rations. Now we're not seeing a lot mathematically. We're not seeing a lot of movement yet because there's not a lot of wheat out in the feedlot country. Um, And they want to make sure if they're going to switch a ration that they can do it for the life that pen is going to be eating and not be switching rations on a midstream. And so they'd have to get enough wheat to do that, Um, but it's getting more and more competitive.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Can we get enough supply out of the Black Sea region, out of Ukraine and Russia on wheat to, I don't want to say to make the HRW crop concerns here in the U.S. a non-event, but can we offset a lot of that concern?
5: Uh, Not with Ukraine, Uh, those exports are going to continue to be very limited and going to continue to scale down each year we go forward and it's going to take them a long time to rebuild. Uh, We had a massive crop in Russia last year, but their infrastructure is limiting how much they can export. And uh, so that's going to well, I say infrastructure plus sanctions combined are limiting how much they can export. So they're probably going to end up this marketing year with maybe about 18 million metric tons of surplus wheat that they couldn't export. So if they go back to a more normal crop this next year, that'll still be there to keep their exports strong. But even with that, with the absence of a significant crop coming out of Ukraine, that still leaves us tight. Now the U S is still the residual supplier in a world where they come after everybody else is out of it, but it's not like we have that much wheat in the United States to export anyway, right now, we really yeah. need to be kind of rebuilding those supplies and as tight as corn supplies and grain sorghum supplies are in feedlot country where combined corn, Milo and feed wheat production this year, this past year was a billion bushels lower than the previous year. Um, we need, we, we're going to need wheat to feed as yeah. we get into the summer months. And we start really running out of corn again. There's hundreds of trains being booked uh, to move that corn from west, from east to west into feedlot country. And as I've talked to people out there, they're worried, what if we aren't done with this labor problem with the railroads? as a lot of railroad people yeah. are talking about they're upset and they're going to get their bonus and retire. Wow. that could really create havoc and trying to move that corn and then that feed wheat's going to be even more valuable.
0: Boy, that doesn't sound like a break in the corn basis out west.
5: No, we initially did see a break. I mean, we were as high as 240 over the the December contract yep. this fall. Um, in Garden City. And we've come down off of that, came down almost a dollar off of it. Now we're starting to firm a little bit more again. The real concern then as we get into April and May, and then especially June and July.
0: Yeah. And you know, the another concern about that is that basis is stopping the flow of corn West, and it's not getting out to the dairies and, and the poultry producers out in California. I, they need grain too.
5: Yeah, yeah, exactly Jeez. right, and and the futures market is just kind of drifting, um, yep. the cash market is doing the work.
0: Doing the work, that's exactly right, I can't believe that segment is gone, Arlen, good grief. Uh, we are in the middle of a conversation with Arlen, with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X Group. Okay, next, we're going to go South American Crops and the influence on our 2023 planning decisions, that's next.
4: The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com farmincentive to see if you're eligible.
1: Time now for news of note from ProFarmer. There is speculation Russia could lower its export quota... After President Vladimir Putin earlier this week said his country needs to maintain stable food reserves, Russia's Ag Ministry has proposed raising export tariffs on soybeans from 20 to 50% to stimulate domestic processing capacity. India is considering measures to cool domestic wheat prices which jumped to a record high this week as supplies dwindle. China's health authority said demand for critical care for COVID-19 patients had peaked. 40% fewer people were in the hospital January 17 than on Jan 5. Japan logged its largest annual trade deficit in 2022. The main cause is said to be high import costs, which rose by 39% as energy prices soared and the yen weakened. News of note is taken from the pages of ProFarmer. You can get more of a try at ProFarmer.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on
0: AgriTalk. That's some good stuff, right there, isn't it? That's Brad Paisley. You betcha. That is. That boy can pick that guitar. No she doubt. Picking fool. Right. Oh, that's what he is. <laughs> yeah, he is. yeah he is all right we are in the middle of a conversation with arlen uh suderman before we get get back to arlen let's go ahead and recap where the market's closed chip march hrw wheat futures were
1: nine and one half cents lower 832 march soft red wheat down eight cents 734 and one half march corn futures were four cents lower 677 and one quarter july corn futures closed at 663 and one quarter that's down four and three quarter cents March soybean futures nine and three quarters cents lower, fifteen to fourteen and three quarters. July beans closed at fifteen oh three and three quarters, down eleven and one quarter cents. March cotton down one hundred forty two points, eighty three thirty nine. Livestocks, February fat cattle eighty five cents lower, one fifty five ninety five. March feeders down one sixty two and a half to one eighty ten. And February lean hog futures sixty seven and one half cents lower seventy six sixty five chip that is your quick market recap back to you
0: all right Davis thank you very much we are talking with Arlen Suderman chief Commodities economist for the Stone X group Arlen let's go down to South America so at the start of the show I said something about the 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 forecast for a chance of rain in Argentina kind of chase the buyers out of the soy complex today. Is, is is that the reason or is there something else going on?
5: Well, I certainly think that's a factor and that in combination with the big crop in Brazil that they're starting to harvest. Uh, The data that came out today from Buenos Aires Grain Exchange showing 3% of the Argentine soybean crop currently rated good to excellent. So we know there's a lot of problems with that crop. Now they have a very long planting season in Argentina. So if you look at it, they're they're finishing up the last 10% of planting now or so need to be done kind of by next week. Um, About half of the crop has been in the ground a month or less so that's going to vary you know what kind of stand did you have do you have a stand that's got some growth just waiting for rains or not it does have time to respond to rains if you have the stand that's going to vary a lot from field to field they have not been totally devoid of rain they have had rain those rains have just been less than normal less than what was forecast uh, and they've had extreme heat in between the rains. so stuff is very much stressed. The corn is in worse shape than is the soybeans. Now I, I texted my contact down there that I get a lot of information from this morning. And I said, is, is a quarter of the crop too far along to benefit at all from the rain? He said, you know, that's really hard to tell, but probably. So there's going to be some big losses. The Rosario Grain Exchange has the crop at 37 million metric tons. Buenos Aires Grain Exchange at 41, I I believe it is. USDA at 45 and a half million metric tons. I put in my world balance sheet, I put the 37 million metric tons in there. 37 million metric tons. Then you look at Paraguay, Uruguay, and Brazil. Brazil at 153 million metric tons all that comes together for those four big producers of soybeans in South America to 202.3 million metric tons. That is still up 23.9 million metric tons from last year, or about 880 million bushels higher than last year for South American production. So What we do is we start moving soybeans down the Paraná River um, toward Argentina because Argentina needs to supply much of the world with um, with soy meal and with soy oil. They've already started shipping beans down that river to do so. Uh, We'll see more going from Paraguay down there as well. And you just start rearranging the deck chair, so to speak. And a lot of factors go into it, so it may not play out this way. But my point is in this modeling that I did is there is a path toward a 37 million metric ton crop in Argentina, not impacting our balance sheet in the United States at all because of the sheer size of the Brazilian crop.
0: Right. Okay. Now, Davis asked the question yesterday, and I I think it's a really good question. And I'm now looking right now at the balance sheet. Okay, hey, Davis, I was about right that Argentina would be looking to import enough soybeans to make sure that they still crush about 45 million metric ton. Does that make sense to you, Arlen?
5: Yeah, yeah, they certainly okay. can. Now, a lot of it's going to depend on the Paraná River water levels mm-hmm. and barges and a lot of other things like that. A lot of things can go wrong, but that is possible.
0: Okay, so... It- Without impacting the U.S. balance sheet. What does that mean? We're sitting here at a 4.8% stocks-to-use ratio. Things are tight. We can lose some off of crush because of that, you know, kind of a slow, sluggish Nopa, start to the Nopa crush reports. We can lose a little bit of crush and still have a a 6% stocks-to-use ratio. That doesn't feel like a lot of pressure on bean prices to me, Arlen.
5: Well, Things are going to be tight in the balance sheet. And yeah, we saw the weather negatively impact crush last month, just like it did ethanol grind. Um, I think we'll see a bounce back in January, but I still have a lower crush number than USDA. Um, We can still finish the marketing year out tight because usually these balance sheets are built with China coming back to the United States in the last half of July and August for old crop soybeans because Brazil's shelves are empty. But with the crop that they have, I expect Brazil's supplies to last into next fall so they won't be coming back in late in this marketing year. We won't get that bump in exports that we normally get in late July and August. And I think so we will just, just be supplying domestic demand. And so therefore the price doesn't have to necessarily do any more to ration demand, maybe doesn't fall apart. Um, but we do have that risk because Brazil farmers sell in our market, as you know, and Brazil farmers right now have sold a very small portion of this year's crop, only about 15% or so that's much less than normal they start getting into this harvest and start dumping soybeans because they are now producing more than they have storage for. There's gonna be a lot of selling going on um, and things start to break. They'll, the panic selling will also come in and we could put a lot of pressure on this. And of course, you know what the algos would do once momentum yep. changes. So I was surprised we got above $15 sustained a move. It has done so, Don't it doesn't pay to fight the money. And yep. then money is still trending higher, but I'm saying it's vulnerable and you got to have that vulnerability in your marketing plan.
0: All right. So let's think a little bit longer term about something that you just said. Uh, China may not come to the U.S. for those late marketing year supplies, July, early August. That's not only this year. That may be every year going forward, Arlen. Yeah, exactly right. If you look, I I mentioned even
5: with the 37 uh, million metric ton Argentine crop, which most people are still above that, that we still increased overall soybean production for South America um, by 23.9, almost 24 million metric tons. What we shipped last year to China was about 30 million metric tons. So the increase in production in South America is almost what we shipped to China from the United States alone last year, just to put some perspective on it. Um, So we are rapidly moving toward China having an alternative on soybeans, and they want to get there before they take action on on Taiwan.
0: I was just going to say, this feels like a setup for some For the U.S. not wanting to do trade with China if if they move on Taiwan.
5: Yes, exactly right. And uh, I started putting that in my presentations as a black potential black swan event two years ago, along with Russia uh, attacking Ukraine. And I got a lot of laughter. Well, Russia did attack Ukraine a year later, um, and I believe that uh, uh, China... Uh, moving on Ukraine. It won't look like what Russia did with Ukraine. They have have incentive to maintain the infrastructure there, um, but the incentive is stronger today than it's ever been for them to do so. They've made the changes to their constitution to allow it, and I would say even to mandate it, and they're making the changes within their leadership structure to facilitate it.
0: Okay. All right. Arlen, have you taken... what what are your thoughts on Chinese population going forward?
5: Well, it's it's in decline, and uh, so probably this year India will become the world's most populous nation rather than China, and it's going to continue to decline, and that drives decisions being made in China, militarily and economically, that yeah. is one of the reasons they've become more aggressive, that they're taking the steps that part of their belt and road program, investing in other economies, that that's as they send people and resources there that then send money back to China, that's how they're going to sustain their economy is expansion. And so that is part of policy now in China for their survival and growth.
0: Yeah boy no kidding it it the, the some of the some of the forecasts are are looking at a dramatic not dramatic doesn't even describe it uh, uh well a dramatic decline in the population in china over the next 30 years is is that something that's in your your playbook
5: yeah, it's definitely, and if you look at a demographic breakdown by yeah. age, it's an inverted bell curve um, yep. with the, the elderly having the widest portion, the biggest portion, and uh, the young people who are the workforce, so to speak, having the smallest portion of that curve, trying to support the elderly, et cetera. And so no economy can sustain itself in yeah. that type of environment. They have yeah. to make changes. They've tried to make changes with the children policy, right. but it's so deeply ingrained now to one child policy, yep. they can't change it.
0: They can't, they can't get the people to bust away from it. Arlen, the time flies when you're on the show, man. Thank you so much.
5: You bet. Love being with you, Chip.
0: All right, Arlen. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX Group. Davis and I will be right
3: back. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything.
1: Welcome back to Acre Talk, everyone. That's Chip Flory on Cowbell. You're going to want that Cowbell. You're going to want that Cowbell. Oh, yeah. Thing.
0: Yeah. It's a mini Cowbell.
1: Our uh, guest today, uh, Arlen Suderman, I didn't get a chance to highlight this earlier, but he did say Black Swan.
0: <laughs> oh, sleep at the switch. Uh, Did that jolt you out of your chair when he's when he said Black Swan? Well, no, and you know,
1: okay, there's there's a limit to the nonsense and joke hilarity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is a heavy topic. Oh yeah, you know, Uh, and then the Taiwan invading uh, Taiwan, jeez, China invading Taiwan, Taiwan, Taiwan. Oh my God, let's not be floating that out there. Oh jeez, I just. What are you saw doing? The future. Whose I side just, are you on, Flori? Are you, saw you currently, future, or have you ever it been? <laughs> wow.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh. uh, But here's the thing, because the dude backed it up by saying, "I've put it in my speeches." So he's yeah. he's standing in front of people's faces, yeah, and talking about it. Yep. Then he mentioned, "Well." I kind of said the same thing about Russia invading Ukraine,
0: yeah. and everybody thought, "Whatever, this guy's off his yeah. rocker." Yeah, and but that, that has happened. happened before. That has happened before. Okay, I mean, you go back to fourteen and twenty fourteen, yeah. yeah. and yeah. Russia was crossing the Ukrainian border. So, to to me, putting the Russian invasion of Ukraine. In 2022, out there, isn't as black swanish mm-hmm. as talking about China's invasion of Taiwan. Okay, does that make sense?
1: Well, yeah. And here's here's my thing with China invading Taiwan too. I don't remember who said it. I wish I would have. I have a guess, but I'm not going to say it. I might be wrong. Um but I asked them about that one day when I uh, was fortunate enough to be hosting and mm-hmm. I said what are the chances here I mean this at that time we haven't heard much about it lately at that time it sounded bad like yeah. you know ships out there and they're doing military maneuvers and yeah. all this sort of stuff shortly after d- Pelosi made the yes. trip to Taiwan yeah it would have would have been around that time I said what are the chances I mean what what how what's it look like and whoever it was said you got to understand, China plays the ultra, ultra long, game. ultra long game. We think of news in, you know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Mm-hmm. They're thinking generationally. Yeah. Um, I don't know yeah. how that figures into but the current situation because Suderman did say they need it bad. And it's in their constitution now, that,
0: you know, that to back it up. Right. But we were talking about the Chinese chinese population there are some projections out there right now that china's population could be as low as call it 500 million by the year 2100 i saw that okay um the the, where where are they at right now you know that's that's kind of a big question uh it's in the 1.3 to 1.4 billion but hey some of the projections are that the population could be under a billion by 2050, and half that 50 years later. So mm-hmm. um, it's an interesting read from our good friend Chris Bennett at Farm Journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, his The title of – I haven't talked to Chris about this, and I might be a little out of line saying it on the air for the first time – but the headline is "Future Shock." U.S. agriculture sleeping on China's historic population crash. I don't. I don't think that's that's true. I don't think U.S. agriculture is sleeping on the population issue in China or the unreliability of China as a customer of U.S. agricultural goods. Hmm. Uh, the the reason that I say that is when you look at what some of the commodity groups are doing and some of the the trade groups in particular, uh, USEC, U.S. Grains Council those that are out there building up demand, building up demand for products around the globe, uh, are when they talk about Asia, yes, they're in China and they're maintaining relations at a minimum. But when they talk about building a market for more U.S. product, they talk about India. They talk about Vietnam. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. talk about Cambodia. They talk about – Bangladesh, Indonesia, the Philippines, the the growth opportunities are outside of China. And th- those that work every day to build foreign market demand for U.S. goods know that. They're, they're focusing outside of China. So I, I, I love Chris. Great wordsmith.
1: He's the best. He's the best. Awesome yep.
0: writer. You start reading, you better pack a lunch because you're not getting up until you're done with yep. that article type yep. of writer. Uh but on this one I would argue a little bit with his headline. That's okay. that's all I'm saying. But the but the the content is sound
1: The the content is sound.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I believe so, yes. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. let me ask you this then about about
1: Suderman's comment, China wants to load up on imports. Mm-hmm. Before they make a move on Taiwan, have we? We we've seen a pretty decent bumper we did in
0: twenty two. Yep. Um. Or would you call it loading up? Well, and don't forget at at the at the People's Congress, they also started they they hired a new guy whose job is to build up grain reserves. Mm hmm. So that's again in prep for um maybe some some shunning by the united states in particular going forward Mm. so this is one of the reasons i'm looking forward to next week and top producer seminar as much as i am and and my the the panel discussion that we're going to have uh, talking about world grain flows steve reed matt roberts and kip tom are going to be on that panel uh this is all going to work into that conversation very much it's like an and, all-star uh, squad, too, oh, dude. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be, it's going to be a whole lot of fun to have this conversation. It's one of those where if I make too many notes for it, probably it's not going to be <laughs> as good as we just kind of get up there and say, "Okay, let's start." Just talking Just go about in this. blank. Yeah, yeah. Go go going in clean. blind, and see if we can figure it out and see where it takes us. Anyway, great conversations on AgriTalk Talk today. Wow, yeah. you guys, that was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for being here with us. Tomorrow morning, we got the free for all Wiesmeyer, Mark Racker, Michelson, and me right here on A.